awesome to see the church quasi-filled this morning. And I think we're still keeping socially distant, so we're all safe. And we uh, appreciate your willingness to come out this morning and to worship the Lord in spite of COVID. Because COVID is under our feet. Amen? Amen. Well, as I was praying about what to share this morning, it dawned on me that the prayer that we've been looking at over the past several weeks is a tremendous Easter passage. I know it's a rare consideration for an Easter message, but I believe it is a wonderful text for us to consider. And I'm not very creative. I wish I could have come up with a better title for the message this morning. But it's simply this. Easter is so much more. And I wanted to be sure we'd keep you awake with that PowerPoint. But I did check it out with my wife. I said, Are, you think this is okay? And she says, oh, I love it. So, you know, Kathy's a designer, and if she says she loves it, I trust her. <laughs> so if you have your Bibles, or if you want to follow along in the screen, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 17 through 21 together. And I want to invite you to read with me in unison this morning. Praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, I can't hear you, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Oh Lord, how we thank you for your precious word and we say with the psalmist this morning that the entrance of your word gives light. We pray for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. We pray that the eyes of our hearts would be flooded with light this morning. That as your word enters into us, it may become part and parcel of who we are that the lives that we lived would be lived to your honor and glory. So let your word run swiftly this morning and be glorified. Anoint these lips and anoint the ears of every listener in divine presence, and we will praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. So other than Palm Sunday, I thought we were gonna take a hiatus from this sermon series, but as I said when praying over what should I preach on, Lord, what would you have me share? I don't know if you're aware of this, but preachers, 
pastors are always facing a tremendous challenge when it comes to Christmas and Easter because there are such familiar stories. So how do we make them fresh? How do we make them something that you would not sit there and say, well, I've heard this before. Well, we know that the word of God, even though we've heard it a bazillion times, that when the spirit of God anoints it, it's fresh and it's new. So I'm praying this morning that this will be a rhema word to your heart and that our eyes would be flooded with light so that we specifically might come to know God. And we learn that the apostle there is speaking about an experiential knowing of God. Christians all over the world say, I know God. But do we really, really know God? If we know him, it's only with a very small fraction of how much there is to know of God. Now, Paul's prayer focuses on three things that we might know. First of all, what is the hope of his calling? Secondly, what is his inheritance in us? And thirdly, where we really want to focus our attention this morning is what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. Paul is praying for the Ephesian believers that they might come to that place in their lives where the Holy Spirit just floods their eyes with light and that they come to understand the greatness of God's power. I think if there is one thing that grieves the heart of God and grieves his heart deeply is that his children do not know or understand how great he really is. Now those of us who are parents, how would we feel if after nurturing our children, raising them, providing for them, meeting their needs, granting their desires and their wishes that we see that somehow deep down in their hearts there is this doubt that we will always be there for them, that we will always unconditionally love them, that we will always meet their needs. How must God feel after all that he has done for us. Now, we need to be honest with ourselves this morning. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but in your own heart of hearts, how much do we doubt God's power? How much do we doubt God's ability to take care of us? How much do we doubt when we are in crisis mode, God, do you really have my back? God, are you really going to take care of this? Do we really, really trust him with all of our hearts? How often with our own puny little minds, when the doctor gives us a diagnosis that we don't want to hear, do we disbelieve that we have a heavenly father that is big enough to take care of that need? We're his children, and we really don't know the greatness of his power. 
as Paul says in Ephesians, in all of his might, in all of the glory and the majesty of who he is, in all of his ability, what did Paul say? To do exceeding abundantly, above all that we can ask or even think. And it's because Paul knows that we're cut from this cloth that is so weak in faith. Paul knows that we're so often doubtful of the Father's greatness, that he prays that we would come to know, that the eyes of our heart would be flooded with enlightenment, that we would receive revelation by the Spirit of God to know how truly great is, great our God is. And so let us look more closely at this prayer this morning and to see the truth that it presents to us about the familiar Easter story and how it applies to our lives. Now to better understand what Paul wants them to know, let me read just from a few different translations. I love looking at the scripture in the light of other translations. Now Paul prays that we might know what is the great and mighty power that God has for his followers. That we might know what is the boundless greatness, boundless greatness of his power toward us. That we might know the unlimited greatness of his power for us who believe that we might know the exceedingly great power to those of us who are trusting in him. As we look at this passage of scripture in the original language, there are really three words that Paul repeats. Those words are power, strength, and might. Well, when you study the original Greek, Bible scholars tell us that these words are so very similar that it's difficult to distinct in making the meaning separate. So what, what's Paul doing here? He's just piling words upon words to begin to express to us the power and the strength and the might of God that is limitless, that is immeasurable. Words fail. Words fail to begin to bring to us the vocabulary that can begin to define the greatness of his power. Notice what Paul says about this power. It is according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. Ha! <laughs> This power God demonstrated when he worked it in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in heavenly places. Now notice what God's power did for Jesus. It raised him from the dead. You know it needs to take God to raise from the dead. Only God can do that. And not only did God raise Jesus from the dead, God seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenlies. I like that he says he seated him at his right hand. 
We know from Psalm 110 that this is a very special place. This prophetic passage of Scripture speaks about a unique and singular authority and honor. When you are seated at the right hand, that is a place of unbelievable power and authority. Yahweh said to my Lord, the Messiah, sit with me as enthroned ruler while I subdue your every enemy. They will bow low before you as I make them a footstool for your feet. You notice that in heaven there, there is only one right hand. If, if God said in his word, I'm going to seat you in front of me, there could be several thrones. But there is only one position at the right hand. And aren't we thankful to know this morning that Jesus has that position. And it's a position of ultimate authority. It's a position of power. It's a position of unlimited glory. And it's a glory that he wants to share with you and me. Because notice what else the Apostle Paul says. This power that he exerted toward Christ is the same power that he wants to exert toward you and me. Can we let that sink in? Can we allow our minds to wrap around the reality that the power of God that took Jesus out of that sepulcher and raised him up and then seated him at his right hand is the same power that he is giving to you and to me. And that's why we celebrate Easter today. Easter is so much more than just telling the Easter story. And we love the Easter story. And as we opened the service this morning, I read from the Gospel of Luke the Easter story. It's recorded in all four Gospels. But it's not just a historical fact. It's just not stating a doctrine that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again. And we've memorized the creed. How is it impacting our lives? Have we come to experience personally and individually the greatness of his power? That same power, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit, the Bible tells us, that dwells in our mortal bodies. And that spirit makes us alive unto God. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But God's spirit raised us up. God's spirit made us alive. He lifted us out of the grave of sin and shame. And he robed us in his righteousness that we might live for his glory all the days of our life. Easter is not a doctrine. Easter is a message of God's greatness that has everything to do with you and me. After all, the whole purpose of Jesus dying, why would the Son of God who was perfect come to this earth to die? He didn't come for himself. He came for you. He came for me. We were lost in sin. We were condemned to eternal death and damnation. 
But God in his infinite love, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died to redeem us. He died so that we might live with an abundant life. And if Easter only means a story or a doctrine or a creed, it's just irrelevant if it doesn't apply to our own heart and to our own, and to our own lives. This is what Paul is praying for that we might know today that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power that not only raised him up, but seated him in the heavenlies, in the heavenly places. It's important that we understand this term because it really has everything to do with why Jesus died to bring us into a new position. This term, the heavenlies, is a very familiar phrase that the Apostle Paul uses repeatedly. And if we're familiar with more like the King James Version, you will always find the phrase heavenly places. But interesting to note that in the original language, the word is just heavenlies. The translators place the word places just to identify a location just to make us understand that this is a place where God has brought us to. But these heavenly places, these heavenlies, what is the Apostle Paul exactly speaking about? Did, did he not say in Ephesians 2, but God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenlies? in Christ Jesus. Where are these heavenlies Paul speaks so frequently of? I think we're familiar with Ephesians six twelve, where the apostle Paul says the heavenlies is where the battle is raging. If you're wondering where all the warfare is coming from, it's coming from the heavenlies. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. That fight that you had with your spouse this morning was not instigated by your spouse. There is a power of darkness that is ruling in the heavenlies that somehow had an open door to come in. But he is behind all the wickedness and the evil that is in the world. So the, the scripture says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, where in the heavenly places. In Ephesians 2 and 2 we read, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. What's Paul speaking about? He's speaking about the first heaven. The atmosphere here over the earth, that is where the throne of Satan is. But if we read somewhere else in the scripture that Paul speaks of being taken up into the third heaven, then there must be a second heaven, right? Well, above this atmosphere that we're all familiar with as we look up into the sky, we're, we, we, we can see the heavens, 
but beyond those heavens that we cannot see or can only see with a telescope and much of what is out there we cannot even behold because it's even billions and billions of years away from where we are. That is the second heaven, the universe that displays the glory of God, the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies. But then this third heaven that the Apostle Paul speaks of is the dwelling place of God. It's where God's throne is. It's where he rules and reigns from. So when we read about Satan being the prince and power of the air, that first heaven, don't think that's the same place where Jesus is ruling from. He's ruling from, he was seated on the right hand of God in the third heaven, in that glorious domain where someday you and I will spend an eternity where he is going to take us and when we die, to be absent from the body will be to be present with the Lord. Now we want to notice this morning that there are three things specifically that Paul says about this exaltation of Jesus. And all of these things bring so much encouragement to our hearts. And on this Easter Sunday, I don't know what kinds of circumstances you're dealing with. Just because it's Easter doesn't mean that magically all of your problems have disappeared, that somehow magically you've not walked into this church with a heavy heart. But I pray this morning that through the word of God and understanding who we are in Christ and the place we have in Christ because Jesus rose from the dead, because Jesus was seated at the right hand of God, that you and I are living even in the midst of our affliction in a place of victory, in a place of peace, and in a place of great grace. The first thing that we learn is God exalted Jesus far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Well, if you're living in this world, you need to know that the powers of the air, spiritual wickedness in high places is pervading the world, especially in this Western Hemisphere, where it seems that people have just opened wide the doors. I mean, I don't know if you heard about the latest Nike sneaker, that blood was placed into each sneaker and the sneaker was designed to give glory to Satan and people rushed. They were sold out in moments. What kind of world are we living in that people would open the door for Satan to come in and to bring torment and torture and trouble into their lives when they have the choice to choose Jesus who can forgive all of their sin and meet the deepest longing of their hearts. 
So the rulers of wickedness and darkness are raging in our world, but we need to know this morning that above every principality, above every power, above every dominion, above all might that is operating in the heavenlies, there is Jesus seated on his throne, and he is far above. He's not only above, he is far above. And Christian friends, there are times in our lives when we almost feel like that dark breath of Satan is breathing even on our necks. Those are the times we need to remind ourselves that Jesus has been exalted to a place of higher authority, of higher glory that is far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Never forget it. Jesus is supreme and he rules and he reigns as king of kings and lord of lords. Secondly, the scripture says that he is exalted above every name that is named. Now we know a name represents authority. When you say you're the president of the United States, that speaks of authority. Presidents of the United States, I never realized how much authority and power they have that they could overlook Congress, overlook the Constitution and bylaws of the United States and by executive fiat say this is the way it's going to be. That's not the America that I grew up in, but that's the way it is today. Because people have a name, they have authority, that's our president. I'm not talking only about our president present president, it's been for decades in America where presidents have taken advantage of where they were seated and not understood that there's a constitution and bylaws that rules in this nation. But as people of the kingdom, we need to know that there's a constitution and bylaws that rules in the spirit world. And in the spirit world, Jesus has been given a name that is above every other name. And that the name of Jesus, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. You think of all of the power there is in a, a name, in a label. How, how about the, the name of mammon that just consumes people? Money. Money, if I can only get more money. And it's, it's a God that we're actually bowing down to. It's a God that blinds our minds. It's a God that promises pleasure and worldly fame and fortune. How pernicious is this evil idol of mammon? Yet how many are bowing down to it? But I want you to know, no matter how needy you are, money will never meet your need. But there is a name above every other name that will meet your name at need. And his name is Jesus. For the word of God says, and this is the rule book by which we live, that my God shall supply all your needs according to his abundant riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Science has so much power, doesn't it? It's because of science that we're all wearing masks today. Technology, it could be used for so much good, but at the same time, so much evil. 
I mean, the internet is one of the greatest things that was ever discovered, but by the same token, the prince and power of the air has used the internet to bring pornography as a pervasive power that is bringing such degradation and debauchery into the minds of men and women. Science, they could create a virus in a laboratory that has the power to destroy an entire population. You name the power, whatever it might be, whatever label you might give it, even military power. And we're proud to be Americans. We're proud of our military might with all of our tanks and our jets and our submarines and our Navy vessels and even our nuclear weapons. There is a name above every name that has more power than all of the military power of every world power combined together. And that name is Jesus. Oh, that we might know the greatness of his power. No nuclear power could raise Jesus from the dead. No power, no name, no authority could lift us out of a, a grave of sin and shame. But Jesus, by marvelous grace and the Spirit of God, were able to lift us up. That's why it's so critical that we have the eyes of our heart flooded with light, that we might see the exceeding greatness of his power over every other power. That's not just a pretty verse. And I've been encouraging us to memorize these prayers as we study the apostolic prayers. These are great prayers to memorize, but they need to become something more than verses that we just spout off because we've memorized them. They need to become a reality. They need, they need to, to cause us to live in such a way that we know that as we're walking through life that Jesus has been exalted over every dark power, that there is no magical power, there is no incantation that can come upon us, there is no witchcraft that can be spoken against us, that when we speak the name of Jesus, that name is far greater and far higher than all the power of all the darkness of hell and the forces of the evil one. And there's a lot of witchcraft in this world and there's a lot of darkness. But if we know Jesus, then we have the victory and we need not even fear it. I often think, I believe it was Martin Luther who was awakened one evening by some dark presence. Have you ever had that experience? Oh, you just, just felt this darkness, this but he turned and he looked and it was Satan. I don't think any of us have seen Satan. I know the scripture says he comes as an angel of light. Maybe, maybe we've had. But if we ever saw him with a pitchfork, I'd know we turn and run. Who wants to look at Satan? But when Martin Luther turned and saw that it was Satan, he said, oh, it's only you. Now I could go back to sleep. That's because he knew the greatness of the power of Jesus, so far greater than that devil that was defeated at the cross. Because my Bible tells me that when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he stripped the devil of all of his power. He stripped the enemy of all of his might. The enemy might show his teeth, but he has no power. They're only gums that can't harm us. We are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. 
Oh, I'm so glad for Philippians 2 because our God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee bows, those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth. Even Satan and his cohorts bow and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is sovereign. He is supreme. He is in control. All to the glory of God the Father. And this is why we need the eyes of our hearts enlightened. So let's recap. Jesus is far above all rule and authority. He's far above every name that is named. And the third thing is that we are assured not only in this age, but also in the age to come. You know, we're living in a world that has a certain order, that has a certain hierarchy of structure and authority. Evil, as we've been saying, is pervasive, even though Jesus is far above it but he has not yet put all of his enemies under his feet. They are under his feet, but there's manifestation. They're acting like they're not, and they're getting away with certain things. Even death, he conquered death, but physically we still die. But that will be the last enemy that he puts under his feet. But the Bible tells us that not only in this age, but in the age to come, when God establishes a, an entire new heaven and a new earth, there will be a new order. The word of God assures us Jesus will still be in charge. <laughs> Jesus will still rule and reign. And when the endless ages of eternity roll, we need never fear that out of some corner of the universe, some other alien force or power might try to usurp the authority of Jesus. It is impossible because all of the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and he shall rule and reign forever and forever. Well, how then shall we live, Christian brother, sister, this world that is full of darkness? On those days when our hearts are heavy and they're burdened, we just came through this Good Friday holiday, and I trust that God allowed all of us to, to spend some time in holy meditation on the cross and on the sufferings of Jesus, who was fully man. He was fully God because only a perfect substitute could attain for our sin. But he had to be fully man so that as a man, he could fully atone for our sin by suffering that death that he suffered on the cross. That excruciatingly painful death. We can't even begin to imagine the pain that he suffered in his body, not to even speak of the wrath of God, not to speak of understanding and recognizing that the Father himself had forsaken him 
so that he would cry on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew that intimate fellowship with the Father the whole 33 years that he walked on this earth. But in that moment on the cross, because of the sin and the curse that was laid upon Jesus, my sin, your sin, our culpability, thrown and cast on Jesus. One of the verses in the Bible that absolutely blows my mind is Isaiah 53, that it says that it pleased the Father to crush his son. Pleased. God was pleased to do that. Now that is not a, a morbid pleasure, but it was the pleasure in knowing that when his righteous wrath was satisfied by doling out just punishment, that as a result of that, you and I and every person that he's created can have the wonderful opportunity of coming back into fellowship with our Heavenly Father, coming back into a relationship with him, coming back into being able to hear his voice and being able to know that he wants to hold us close to his heart. He wants to walk with us. He wants to talk with us. He wants to fellowship with us. Us, all because Jesus was willing to suffer. And I suggest to you that no matter how terrible our circumstances might be today, if Jesus endured the cross, ignoring its shame, why did he do it? for the joy of bringing many sons into glory. He did it because he knew that his father had a prize for him. He knew that his father was going to exalt him and give him a name above every other name. He knew that his father was going to exalt him and seat him at his right hand so that every enemy could be subdued and destroyed and that he would reign forever and ever as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if Jesus was willing to do that, then I ask myself today, these light afflictions that we suffer while we walk this pilgrim pathway, can we not embrace them with joy, knowing that God's grace is there for us and he will not suffer us to be tempted and tried above that which we are able? Can we not embrace them with joy, knowing that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, not even death itself? We are secure in his love. His love is unconditional. His love is forever. Cannot we embrace it knowing the victory of the cross today, that what Jesus accomplished for us means today that we have victory over sin. That's our carnal nature. I know we're saved, but as long as we are in this flesh, there will always be an opportunity for the old man to rise up and to fall into sin, but we need not be defeated by that sin as we confess our sin, the blood of Jesus cleanses us. 
But as we grow in Christ and allow the Spirit of God to continue to reveal to us the greatness of his might, the greatness of his power, that we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places, we could say no to that sin. We can just say no to that temptation. We could say no to that fleshly lust, knowing that Christ in us, he is the hope of glory. He is the power by which we overcome. Because Jesus suffered and died as he did on that cross, he conquered sin, he conquered hell, and he conquered the grave. That means to you and to me today that we have victory over sin, we have victory over Satan and every power of darkness, and yes, we have victory even over death. I've been thinking a lot about death lately. This season has, has caused uh, some people that are dear to our hearts go to be with Jesus. And I've been reflecting on, we're so sorrowful, we're so downcast, and we're acting like it's the end of the world. I need to feel sorry for myself that I'm still here. They're dancing in glory. They don't have any more aches or pains. They're seeing the face of Jesus. What could be greater than that? They've been rescued out of a world that is full of sin and full of shame. That's why the apostle says that death cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord because to be in his presence has to be so much greater than to be here in this world. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, I, I, I long to depart and to be with Christ, although I, I know it's more needful for me to remain here to, to bless and encourage you. But when we really know Jesus, when we really know the greatness of his power, when death comes knocking at our door or at the door of those that we love, if they know Jesus, we can know, oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have conquered, he has conquered, and because he has conquered, we need not fear death. We have been seated together with Christ in heavenly places. And that means in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our afflictions, we don't need to cower and say, oh God, I'm trying to look up. No, we recognize we're in heavenly places with Christ and we look down at that trial and we look down at that test and we look down at that affliction and we say Jesus is over all. Jesus is higher. Jesus is greater. Jesus is more powerful. We're trusting in him. We're loving him. We're holding on to him. He will be faithful to see us through even unto the end. And he will be faithful to keep that which we have committed unto him until that day. And we today are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Aren't you thankful that you're not only a conqueror, you're more than a conqueror. They, they crucified the son of God. The power of darkness thought that they won. <laughs> But Jesus came out of that grave. 
He didn't come out looking emaciated. He didn't come out looking bloodied and beaten. He came out as the exalted son of God with great power and with great glory. And he says, I'm bringing sons into glory. I'm bringing you and you and you and you. I'm clothing you in my righteousness. Then I'm seating you together with me in the heavenly places. Where I'm at at the right hand of God, you are there too. So you're not conquering by the skin of your teeth. You're more than conqueror through Jesus Christ who has loved us. Let's praise him together this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. You're our mighty conqueror. You've revealed to us the greatness of your power that you exerted toward Christ when you raised him from the dead, when you seated him at the right hand of the Father. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. And you not only did that for Jesus, you did that for us. You did that for us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that we are in Christ today. And we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. Hallelujah. 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 Let's stand together and worship the Lord today. I want us to close with that familiar Easter song.